Turn in your copy of Scripture to Galatians. Uh, we're going to look at uh, really specifically Galatians 6, 1 and 2, but uh, we're going to shrink, uh, move backward uh, to chapter 5, verse 22 at different points. We'll look at 22 through uh, 26. Well, we're looking at how we as a family are called to help one another. Uh, this morning, uh, we had begun worship at our nine o'clock hour, and <clears throat> I went back into the office uh, after I did the opening. I went back to welcome. I went back into the office because uh, one of our members, one of our life group leaders, a guy named Lyle Barstow, uh, he, le- he leads a uh, life group for the shut-ins. He does it over the phone, and it's in the office, and went back, and he had fallen and probably had broken his hip. And so I went back there, and by the time I got back there, he was already surrounded by people who were working diligently to make sure that he had all the help that he needed. They had his head propped up. He was immobilized, not moving. He was there in the kitchen in our back office, and somebody called the ambulance. Ambulance came. Uh, and everybody worked together to help Lyle because Lyle was, I mean, he'd fallen and he needed help. And so they were diligent to do that very thing. Well, that really became a living um, uh, illustration of what we're supposed to be doing as a church, each one of us. Um, we're supposed to be helping one another. You think of it this way. Uh, I, I don't know how many of y'all uh, have, saw the news the last couple of uh, days Uh, CBS News did a report. Uh, In Shreveport, Louisiana, there was a high school that uh, in that high school uh, in September, uh, uh, break out of fighting and fist fighting. And so much so that the police were called in, 23 students were arrested. Um, And and so the violence, the in-school fighting violence was pretty pretty pronounced when arrests are are having to be made. Uh, But as CBS News reported, there's not been another incident of violence or fighting in the school, uh, but it's not because they arrested all the uh, bad apples. It's not because of the policy in the school was changed. It's because there was a group of dads, 40 of them, uh, who when they found out that their children were fighting at school, these dads determined they were going to do something about it. And these 40 dads uh, in shifts uh, hang out in the school every day, and they uh, monitor the halls, and they talk to the students, not, not just their kids, but to all the kids, because they believe that the best antidote to that kind of crazy was dads being dads for all these students. And it's made a difference. A Chinese proverb says it this way. Chinese proverb says, if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. Uh, not right now. <laughs> you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. Truly, Chinese proverb, look it up. You want to be happy for a year, inherit some money. But you want to be happy for a lifetime, help somebody. Chinese proverb. Nothing divine about that. Just a Chinese proverb. Charles Dickens. Y'all know Charles Dickens. Great expectations, Charles Dickens. Uh, Charles Dickens, uh, in one of the characters in one of his many novels, said it this way. 
said, no one is useless in the world who lightens the burdens of another. All those great examples, great lessons, that great truth for us to hear and to follow, but the best word, the final word for us, the truest of true words comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, God says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. By the way, that's not a, oh, you know, if you feel like it, bear one another's burdens. Mm -mm. It's not a, oh, if you really like that person, you can bear one another's burdens. Mm -mm. Bear one another's burdens when, uh, uh, when you know, you have enough uh, emotional margin in your life. No. The mandate is to followers of Jesus in the family of faith called First Norfolk to bear one another's burdens, to share the load. A burden there is anything that crushes the joy of our faith. Any, anything. It can be a, a broken hip. A burden can be... Um, uh, a downturn in the economy or a lost job or a broken heart from a girl that, bre that breaks up with you from dating and, or, or, uh, or whatever. It, it could be any circumstance that weighs heavy on us. It could be people in, 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 that once were friends deciding they don't want to be our friends anymore. Y'all have experienced that, I'm sure. It, it can be any kind of thing that that threatens the joy of our relationship with God and relationship with each other. It doesn't have to be nefarious, that term burden. It just means a weight that crushes us. It can also include sin, choices that we make that lead to a uh, disaster in our life. We'll look at that as well. But, but here's what God tells us that, and, and y'all need to understand, this is God speaking to us. He tells us, you are family, and it's your responsibility to share the load that others are carrying. You've got a load? It's my job to help share, shoulder that load. Now, suppose it happened like this. You're on your way to church and uh, you, you may be running two or three minutes behind, but you, you've got to get to church. And, and, and because, after all, you, there's a, sit, a seat that you're supposed to be sitting in, and, and people are looking for you in that seat. So you're racing to get to church. And as you drive down 264 and you're getting off, uh, you see a car that's, uh, been, uh, that's stopped on the side of the road. And you see the family out there, and the car's uh, smoking and overheated. And, and you recognize that these are people that maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've seen them here in the hallways or in the, uh, in, in the big room at church. And, and you think, well, you know, they're broken down, and they need help. But you know what? I've got some place I've got to be, so you just speed right on by and let them take care of themselves. And God weeps because the first responsibility that you have is to help the one who is in need. Not sit in your seat in the big room or in the small room or any room. It's not to be seen. The command, the mandate 
bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is um, the, the command that Jesus gives us. It's, it's represented in how Paul described his own personal journey in Galatians 2.20. The law of Christ summed up, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is a life that's solely and completely dedicated to be more like Jesus. That's the law of Christ. The law of Christ is, is uh, Paul's deep desire for what he longed to happen in the church at Galatia. In Galatians 4.19, he said, look, I am laboring in birth pangs over and over and over again until Christ be fully formed in you. It wasn't just a personal journey that Paul was on, but it was a corporate journey that the church was on, that we should be like Jesus, that we would um, carry with us the character of Christ and the message of Christ and live the mission of Christ by sharing the love of Christ. In other places in Scripture, the law of Christ is described and and defined by this wondrous love, this self-giving, sacrificial, hanging on a cross for your sin and mine kind of love. And that's, that's the law of Christ that we are to embrace. It's the law that defines our family of faith. It is that we help each other because in helping each other, we show the love of Jesus to one another. You know, we are family. That's who we are. We are family. And as family, we are called by God to help one another. It it makes sense. It, It makes sense because we know, all of us, we know that that Jesus has changed our life. He's changed us. We're not the same that we were before we met Jesus. He has changed our life. Through faith in Jesus, we left our sin and took hold of God's grace, and that grace has transformed us from the inside out. Through faith in Jesus, what once was a soul saturated with emptiness is now a soul that is soaking in satisfaction, Jesus has changed our life. What once was a heart shrinking in shame because of our sin is now a life overflowing in love. Yes, Jesus has changed our life, but there's more. We were isolated and we were alone, separated from God by our sin, separated from the promises and the power of God because of our sin. That separation from God created in us an emptiness where we longed to belong, but we were always outside the reach of a community that would satisfy us. Always trying to find some sense of belonging, we chased every opportunity that we could find, but every avenue toward community was a dead end for us. And that's until Jesus changed our life. His death and resurrection built a bridge between us and a holy God. The Spirit of God drew us across that bridge into the open, welcoming, belonging, satisfying arms of God. We are now home. Finally, home in the family of God. But there's more. 
God in his love doesn't just bring us into his family, but he pours the family of the triune God toward us. He pours within us the very spirit of God, the very person of God, the third person of the Trinity dwells within those who belong to God. If by faith you've been rescued by God's grace, make no mistake, the spirit of God resides within you. And because the spirit of God resides within you, you are being made more like Jesus. That's the work of the spirit. Every day, the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more like Jesus. And every day, the Holy Spirit works in this family called First Norfolk to make our family more like heaven's family. From here to heaven, First Norfolk is on a journey to look more like heaven than we do here. And that begins with you and me. And that begins right now. The Spirit of God is doing a work in us, not so that we might be merely edified for our own satisfaction. The Spirit of God is doing a work in us and a work in this church so that we might reflect heaven here in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and even around the world. This family has been called by God to help one another. See, this is what family values God gives us. It's a family mandate. It's written in the DNA of who we are as a church. We are called to help one another. And there's no getting around it. See, here's what happens. We sit in our straight back seats and we look up here and we don't look to the left and we don't look to the right. I know you get tired when I do this. I know, I know you do. Oh, it's so, how silly is he doing that? Guys, there's a reason. You need to see the people around you. You need to tell them, I'm your brother. I'm your sister. We are family. And with that statement comes a commitment that each one of us have made already, whether we recognize it or not, a commitment to one another, to help one another to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, I don't know where you are on that journey of helping others, but if you are anything at all like most of us, it is I will help the person that I know. I will not help the person I do not know. I'll help the person that is nice to me, but I will not help the person who is not nice to me. I will help the person who seems humble. I'm not going to help the person that seems arrogant. I'll help the person who understands how good I am in helping them. I'm not going to help the person that doesn't understand how good I am in helping them. You see, we start putting all these conditions, but my goodness gracious, Jesus didn't put any of those conditions when he determined to help a sinner like you and me. He didn't say, oh, well, if Eric would just get a little bit better at being better, then somehow I will help him. Or if Eric just got his act together a little bit better, then maybe I would help him. Or if Eric wouldn't jump off in the ditch so willingly, then maybe I would help him. No, friends, Jesus looked upon me when I was weak and powerless, rebellious and hostile in heart, dark from the inside out. And he said, it is my job to help Eric. 
and lift him up out of the pit and bring him into my family. I'm going to change his heart. I'm going to change his life so that he in turn can be my ambassador and my technician of comfort and help those around him. He planted me in this family just as he planted you in this family so that you can go out of your way in helping those who need help. Listen again. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is not a suggestion. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ, faithful members of this family of faith, this is our duty. It's a must. So, and that's what we want to do. By the way, let me just go ahead and say this. This past week, I was uh, desperately, desperately disappointed because one of our members emailed me and said, Pastor, I want to make you aware and ask your, what the church's stance is on a particular issue. Apparently, someone had come to this uh, faithful church family member and, and, and shared that uh, this person that talked to our church member was a member of our church um, and was um, in a spousal relationship, a relationship with her husband, and she was the recipient of abuse from her husband. And as this victim of abuse reported, um, uh, it may have been secondhand, but anyway, as this victim of abuse reported, she, this victim said that she came to one of the leaders of our church, don't know what that means, because you're a leader. So it could have been any of y'all. Um, but came to a leader in our church and said, um, I'm a victim of abuse, and I need help. And um, whoever she talked to, she understood that person to say, we will not help you until you and your husband get into counseling. All right, so I want you to, I want to be very clear about this. I want you all to hear this very clearly. That's not how we do it in our church. Our response to spousal abuse or any kind of abuse, our first response is rescue. That's our first response. Our first response is to step in between those two or those many, step in between this victim and the danger, and we're going to stand between and we're going to say no more. And we're going to take that spouse and that family or whoever it is, and we're going to put them in a place of safety, a refuge. And we're going to pay the bills, and we're going to do what it takes to make sure that that person and their spouse is safe. It's not if you do this, we will help you. No, 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 no. Our job is to help. And to jump in the midst of that mess, and it can be messy because we've done it, and we've done it often, and it can get messy, but we're going to jump right in the middle of that mess, and we're going to stand on behalf of safety, rescue first. And then we're going to get them in a place where they're rescued, where they're safe, and we're going to stand between them and danger. And then then somewhere down the road, if, if God, it, by his grace, allows it, we'll work on the relationship. But that's not the first point of contact. That's not the first act 
of what we do. We want to help by separating, rescuing, and reporting. Oh, yes, we will report. Oh, we, we should. My goodness, why wouldn't we? We're, we should report. So I, I just wanted to be clear. And, 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 and if you have a different idea of what that's supposed to look like, I can appreciate that. But the way we do it in this family is we're going we're gonna to err on the side of rescue. That's what we're going to do. Then we'll work it out. But we're going to err on the side of rescue. That's what we do to help. Now, what we see in this passage, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't want to belabor anything, but I do want us to kind of walk through this passage together. And I want you to go all the way back to Galatians 5, and I want you to look at verse 25. See, if we're going to help people, if we're going to help one another uh, uh, as they shoulder their burden, if we're going to help shoulder their burden with them, the first thing we need to make sure of is that we need to make sure that we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that we stay in step with the Holy Spirit. It's the very first thing that we're supposed to do. Stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as we stay in step with the Holy Spirit, um, the, the picture here in verse 25 of chapter 5 is um, it's, it's walking, if, if you've, and I've never done this, but I've seen it on TV. Uh, if you're in um, a military line and you've got somebody calling out orders and you are marching in that military uh, line and you are walking left, 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 right, left, 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 okay, you, you're going in. That's what we see in chapter 5, verse 25. Listen, listen to what what Paul, uh, Paul writes, what God says. 525 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That term walk is not peripateo, which means go on a stroll. And, and that's a great word, and, 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 and it's a wonderful word. But the word here in Galatians 525 is stoikeo. Stoikeo means I'm staying in step as the Spirit of God calls out the cadence. I am moving my feet in concert with His call. I'm staying in step with the Spirit of God. Now, here's, here's the mandate for us. If we're going to help people, if we're going to help shoulder their burden, if we're going to help them uh, in their need, especially as we look in a few minutes, if they're dealing with, uh, if they're caught in sin, we, we need to make sure that we are stepping in tune with the Spirit of God. Now, what does it mean to step in tune with the Spirit of God? It means that we look at God's Word, and where God's Word says go, we go, and where God's Word says slow, we're slow. And if God say, God's Word says no, we don't do it. It's, it's where we live in obedience to God's Word. Staying in step with the Holy Spirit means that the life that He's given us, by the way, that's the first part of verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, He's saying, look, you have your life because God poured His Spirit within you. The Spirit of God gave you a new heart and a new life. You're a new creation in Christ. 
Christ because that's what the Spirit of God does when you're born again. The Spirit of God has given you new life. And, and so if you live by the Spirit, the second part is now what we're supposed to do. Then we better stay in step with the Spirit. We need to make sure that what we do is not built upon our personal indigestions, but rather it's built upon not even somebody else's suggestions, but what we do is built upon the divine Word of God given to us by the Spirit of God. Oh, we need to make sure that we're staying in step with the Spirit. So if the Spirit says, don't lie, you better not lie, because if you do lie, you're not staying in step with the Spirit. If you're not staying in step with the Spirit, then everything you're doing is like, is like uh, walking up a greased hill in slick shoes. It won't get you anywhere, and it will take you down to the bottom real quick. When we try to live our lives out of step with the Spirit, it leads to our own personal disasters. As followers of Jesus and as the church, we are to live in step with the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit. Now, how do we know if we're living in step with the Spirit? Well, first of all, it's real simple. If you decide that you're going to do something that the Bible says you shouldn't do, or you're not going to do something that the Bible says you should do, if you disobey the Bible, you know you're out of step with the Spirit. Now, another simple way is there is in Galatians 5, if you look at verse 22 and 23, 21, 22, 22, 23, 22 and 23, there's what's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then everything that comes after love is what that love looks like in our lives. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God produces in us, when we walk in step with Him, the Spirit of God produces in us these characteristics of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, then joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics of our Life. These are the qualities of our words. These are the mandates from the Spirit of God and how we relate to one another in this family of faith. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You know you're walking in step with the Spirit when you're producing that fruit. And not just on Sunday morning. Not just when you get here. Now, I know it's got to be after you get here because I already heard how some of y'all cut off other people on their way to church to get here. So you cut them off and then, and then you get here. Uh, no, 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 no. Fruit of the Spirit is more than just how we talk to one another in this sanctified spot. Fruit of the Spirit is how we relate to one another in the details and the drama of disappointments and difficulties in everyday life. When things stink, do you have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control? That's how you know you're in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, look, it's a journey. I know it is. It's not always easy. Oftentimes, it's hard. I asked a group of men to pray for me on Tuesday. I, I asked a group of men to pray for me. It's going to be a hard week. Will you pray for me? And they said, well, what should I pray? What should we pray? I said, pray that I don't lose my mind. And what I mean by that is that I don't, lose, I don't lose staying in step with the Spirit. 
It's a process. It's a work. It's, it's, it's the fruit that God is growing in us by His Spirit. When we stay in step with the Spirit, we produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you want to know what the opposite of that is, I'm not going to read it. You can go to Galatians 5 and look at verses 19 and, 20 and 21. That's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. So what we need to do, if we're going to help one another, if we're going to shoulder the, uh, uh, the burdens of others, the first thing we need, we need to make sure that we're staying in step with the Spirit. The second thing we need to do is we need to crucify conceit. We got to kill conceit. Uh, y'all, have seen, uh, y'all remember Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, right? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, uh, Snow White, if you're not familiar with the story, where you been? Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Snow White, little girl, uh, her mom and dad lived in the kingdom. Her mom dies. Her dad, the king, remarries a wicked stepmother um, uh, who becomes queen. Then her dad dies in mysterious circumstances. So now it's just uh, the wicked queen and Snow White, their family, uh, stepmother, stepdaughter. Every morning the queen gets up. She goes to her prayer closet and she looks in the mirror and she says, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror always responded, you are my queen, you are my queen, you are my queen. The mirror always responded, you are my queen, until the mirror didn't. You know how the story goes. One day, Snow White had grown into a beautiful, fair maiden, and when the wicked queen stepmother says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror responds, Snow White is the fairest in the land. And in that moment, the queen lost her mind. Because of her pride, her conceit, because of her envy, she determined she was going to kill Snow White so she could be the fairest in the land. Listen, pride makes you do wicked, bad things to people in the family. You know what the Scripture says, Proverbs 3.34. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James chapter uh, 4, verse 6. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is an enemy to intimacy with God. Pride is an enemy to intimacy in a flourishing community of believers. Pride kills, so we better be about killing our pride. You look at verse 26 of Galatians 5, uh, Paul said it in a very simple way. He said, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we're filled with conceit, we prod others into a fight because they threaten us or we resent them and we seek to bring them down. Uh, Pride is an enemy to intimacy with God. God resists the proud. But pride is an enemy to a flourishing uh, community or a flourishing of the family of faith because we exalt ourselves above the other. We exalt ourselves. Whenever you walk into a church and your first thought is, what about me? Make no mistake, you have not slayed the enemy of conceit. You have given yourself wholeheartedly to her or him. Uh, When we come into this family, 
we should be crucifying ourselves. And that begins with the queen of all vices, pride. Again, Galatians 2.20, Paul hits it all, and this is what we should be all about. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If anyone desires to follow after Jesus, Jesus said, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, then follow me. Look, to follow Jesus means that we kill self-interest. It's hard. I, I don't like it. I mean, you don't like it. I don't like it. We don't like it. But for us to be the family member that the Spirit of God has equipped us to be and God calls us to be, we must kill conceit. It's not about me. It's about God's glory and the benefit of others. That's what church is built on. And if it's built on any other foundation, if it's built on your preference, then it becomes a weak family filled with all kinds of diseases. Our job, my job, your job, our job is to make sure that we kill pride in our lives. Are there any points of pride in your life? Man, I I have to deal with this every day. I don't know about you. I've got to deal with it every day. Are there any points of pride in your life where you want to exalt your desires above God's or above even the desires of others? You might say, well, you know, I'm supposed to want what I want before I want what they want. No, not, not in the family that Jesus has created. See, the family that Jesus has created says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. It's the model that Jesus set for us. Made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Guys, That's the model. Not what you want. Not what I want. My first thought is this is what Eric Thomas wants. Then I am leading as pastor in a deceitful, bad, hypocritical way. It's just that simple. See, in family, we crucify conceit. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not what I want. It's not what pleases Eric, but rather it's what's going to bring God glory and then what's going to bring benefit to you. Crucify conceit. Have you crucified conceit lately? So if we're going to help one another, we need to stay in step with the Spirit. Only spiritual, by the way, uh, that first point, we're about to look in verse 1 of chapter 6, the verse that most people want to jump to. But verse 1 of chapter 6, it says that when people are in trouble, the spiritual people should be helping. The spiritual people aren't a group of snobbish spiritual saints, super saints in the church. Uh, the spiritual people are not the, not, not the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the commandos of Christianity. The spiritual people are you and me staying in step with the Spirit. 
And spiritual people are those who walk in step with the Holy Spirit of God. They're the ones who are obedient to the commands of God through His Spirit. So if, if we're going to be spiritual, we're going to be obedient to the Spirit of God, found in the Word of God for our everyday life. We're going to crucify conceit. And finally, we're going to mend the broken. We're going to help the broken. Uh, everybody needs help with their broken pieces. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm not going to belabor this one. Here, here's the thing. Uh, you have sinned. I don't do this often. I'm pointing. So I, I get accused of pointing at people when I'm preaching. I rarely do point, but I'm, I'm pointing. Now, you've sinned, and, and you've sinned, and you've sinned, and you've sinned. You've sinned, and you've sinned, and you've sinned, and you've sinned, and y'all, y'all have sinned, and y'all have sinned, and you've sinned. Even way back in the back, you've sinned, and boy, I have sinned. And our sin creates broken shards of a life that used to be whole. And sin is a devastating cyclone of destruction. We've all experienced broken dreams, broken relationships, broken finances, broken lives because our sin. Now, that's what verse 1 is talking about. The big picture is that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. One of those burdens is when we're caught in our sin. Now, I want you, I want you to look at verse 1, and then I want to talk about just a piece of it, and then we'll be done. Brethren, if a person is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... That's all of us who are staying, walking in step with the Spirit. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, a couple of things about this. First of all, this passage is not about us pinpointing other people's sin. There's nothing in the language of verse 2 that says, it's my job to be a um, speck finder of you. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say, my journey, my, I have the gift of, and here are the words, discernment, so I can pinpoint your sin. That's not what this verse is talking about. You know what this verse is talking about? It talks about when I am discovered in my sin. I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm a sinner, and my sin is out loud, and people see it, and people know it. I don't need for you to pinpoint it. I'm caught in it. In fact, the picture here is more how you, what happens when sin has overtaken your life and you are broken in the ash heap of the consequence of your sin. In fact, the, the picture here is not of me calling you out for the sin that you're doing. It's not about confrontation. It's about what happens when you're living the consequence of your sin. It's us as a family jumping down in the ash heap in the mess, holding your hand and saying, I'm with you to help you until you are made whole again. It's not me saying, sinner. It's not it. The picture of this passage is me coming alongside you, 
restore. The term restore uh, is a surgical term in the Greek language. It, it means to mend what's broken. My brother broke his leg uh, several years ago. It was a twisted fracture. So his leg twisted. And so it was a spiral fracture and it had all these shards and everything. So to get it fixed, he had to have a, a, a metal, metal rods in his leg and, and, and all kinds of you know, stuff like that. He, he couldn't function. He couldn't, he couldn't fix a, a meal for himself. And so what happened, my mom left her home and traveled down to where my brother was and stayed with my brother until he was whole. She helped him be restored to health. That's your job with everybody else in this room who has sinned. Can I tell you, this place is not a place of perfect saints who got it all together. And by the way, if you're looking for that church, it does not exist. Never has. Until we're honest about our own failings, we're going to be a group of hypocrites who gather together and pretend and play little Barbie games like we're all good. We don't need anything. Guys, I look around this room and I see a bunch of messy masterpieces. And I am chief among us. And God longs for us to join hands and hearts together. Stop trying to play the game of I've got spiritual stuff and I'm all together. Uh, let's just play the game of, dude, I am, I am broken and I need somebody to come alongside me and help me. It's going to be hard. You know, you, you get into that situation where you see someone that I'm supposed to help. And it's hard because uh, sometimes in the, when, when the healing begins to take place, you, uh, the, the one that needs the healing gets a little frustrated because it's not happening as quick. Or they get a little bit angry because they're losing some of the stuff that they once had. They, they get a little bit uh, irritable. And, and so it's not always a fun experience, but guys, it is a life-affirming, life-giving, soul-satisfying journey that we take. As followers of Jesus, when we put our hands in the hands of those who have been broken by trespass, and we say, I am with you from here all the way to health. Can you identify someone like that around you? Someone that needs you to jump in the ash heap with them and say, I'm with you. And we're going to do this again. Now, the reason you've got to be careful is because you can lose your staying in step with the Spirit pretty quickly when you're in that journey. It's not easy. They get frustrated with you, and they start cussing you, and you, well, you want to kind of cuss them back. But you've got to be careful. Look, do you know that God wants this church to be a place of help, not harm, so that we reflect the person of Jesus Christ to everyone in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. But it begins right here and right now. You and I committing. You know what? I commit to help you. And you commit to help me. And we commit to help one another. This region has yet to see a first Norfolk. 
so soaking in that kind of spiritual power. But if they do get a glimpse, we won't be able to hold the people back from wanting to be a part of this family. Because it's everything they long to experience. But it begins right here. Can't play games. Can't, can't, can't play the church game. Can't be selfish and self-exalting. You can't go your own way. You've got to stay in step with the Spirit. But friends, listen. As we make our way from here to heaven, this is the family God wants us to be. So let's make a commitment and be that family. Will you bow your heads with me, please? The good news for us today is that the Spirit of God is operating and active. He's moving and He's shaping. He's convicting and He's compelling. And He's doing that in your heart and in mine right now. So whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do, maybe maybe there are places where the Spirit of God has convicted you and, and uh, said, hey, listen, you're not in step with me here. In fact, would, I, w- would you be so courageous right now to s- say this prayer, Spirit of God, will you convict me of any place where I'm not in step with you? And as the Spirit of God convicts, will you commit yourself, say, Man, I'm going to submit myself to your command. I'm going to submit myself to your purpose and your plan and your desire. Maybe there are points of pride in your life, and that's, that's where, where you're more interested in yourself than God's glory, more interested in yourself than the good of others. And, and, and God says, hey, listen, I've got to get that right. The Spirit of God begins to pinpoint those places of pride in you. Would you be willing to set those down and submit them to the rule and the reign of the Spirit of God in your life? And maybe, maybe you would be able to say today, this is a person that I know. Maybe there's someone even in this room that you know that's uh, under the weight of the burden of sin. And you, by the power of the Spirit of God of being compelled to go to them and say, I am in this with you. I'm on you, uh, with you on this journey. I'll jump in the mess with you in the ash heap. Let's move toward health together. Maybe you need to go to that person today before this, for, for the last note of the uh, final song is sung. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you need to talk to one of the ministers that will be here at the front. Whatever the Spirit of God leads you to do, will you be surrendered and submitted to Him so that you do exactly what He wants? Father, have your way with us in this time, this moment, for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.